And I'll be reading that in just a moment. I'll begin the reading in verse number 5. And then we will read verses 6 and 8 out loud together. I'll read verses 5 and 7 by myself. The Bible says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order as the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Together, verse 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men and the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. The title of the message today is the title of our theme, Rooted in Christ. I hope to introduce to you the concept this morning of whet your appetite. We're going to be looking at many different sermon series that have to deal with this theme. And the idea is that the farther down we put our roots, the uh, downward roots, upward growth for fruit. And so we want to put our roots down deep in Christ so that we can produce fruit for our Savior. And so Rooted in Christ is the sermon this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that it would make sense this morning and it would excite us about growing and developing and deepening our relationship with you in this calendar year and beyond. And, Lord, I pray that Christians today would determine and commit that they're not going to settle with just being, uh, Lord, a seed that is in the ground and not taking root or a, 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 a bush uh, a small bush or, Lord, even a small tree that just puts out leaves. But, Lord, that we would connect to you and then produce the fruits of the Spirit and then the fruits that a Christian is to produce in our lives. And so help us today as we seek to understand the idea, the concept, and then, Lord, be excited for the year to come. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Jared, if you'd give me just a little more volume on my mic, I'd appreciate that. In 2018, we covered uh, key Bible teachings to help those that were both new to the Christian faith and to help those that maybe were missing and had gaps in their knowledge and understanding of Scripture. Uh, if you were faithful to church last year, Sunday morning and Sunday evening especially, and you paid attention... That's a task all on its own, right? Plenty of people show up to church, but they're not always paying attention. Um, but if you showed up to church last year, you paid attention, you took notes, you meditated on it, you thought about it, then you got a head full of Bible knowledge and Bible doctrine and Bible teaching to give you a foundation uh, to build off of. Now, we covered biblical teachings on the Bible uh, uh, being the Word of God, on the doctrine of salvation. We talked at length on Sunday evenings about God the Holy Spirit. We looked at the doctrine of the church. We talked about the book of Revelation. And we looked at end-time prophecy last summer. We talked about the doctrine of God the Son. Uh, we looked at the doctrine of mankind. Then we talked about God the Heavenly Father. And then we finished it off by talking about the doctrine of sin. 
Um, how many of you, I, I, please participate and don't do this to flatter me, but only raise your hand if you can sincerely do so. But how many of you, because of our theme in 2018, Back to the Basics, you have a better understanding of the Bible today than you did in January of last year? Would you raise your hand if you have a better knowledge of the Bible today than you did January of last year? Very good. You can put your hands down. Now, knowing the Bible and what it teaches is so very important. You've got to know the Bible. You've got to know what it teaches. Otherwise, you are susceptible to someone who doesn't believe the Bible or believes the Bible in a way that is incorrect, swooping in and misleading you and misguiding you. But if all you know is the Bible in your head, and that's where it begins and ends, then Satan has you right where he wants you. He's got you right where he wants you. What does 1 Corinthians 8, 1 tell us? The end of the verse says this, Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. There are a whole lot of people who go to church in, uh, in America. They are faithful churchgoers. And let me tell you, they go to Bible teaching, Bible preaching churches that teach and preach the Bible accurately. And you know what they are? They're a bunch of stuck-up, know-it-all, pie-in-the-sky, nose-in-the-air, Pharisee hypocrites. They know the Bible. Boy, you can sit down and they can parse the Scriptures with you. They can teach you this and that. and They can, they can teach a Bible uh, class at church. They could even maybe even teach a seminary class at a college or a Bible university. And boy, they can, they can lay it out for you. They know it. But you know, the Bible tells us that knowledge puffeth up. It makes one proud of himself. Oh, well, look at all the Bible I know. Uh, as you have uh, learned things in the last year, I imagine some of you have gotten up and gone to work and you've been around other co-workers who maybe think they know the Bible and they bring up a topic of conversation and you go, man, I read that in the Bible or I heard that in church and boy, you show them where they're wrong. And you walk away and you go, I know my Bible. Uh-huh. Look at me. And knowledge, knowledge puffeth up. If you put um, a bunch of old men at a breakfast table in McDonald's or down at the diner or at Dunkin' Donuts, and you just go in, and, and I love doing this, all right? I, if I need to be entertained early in the morning, this is how I get entertained, okay? You go and you sit down at a, a table where you're in earshot, and you just listen to these old men wearing their fedoras, sipping on their senior coffees that free refills, right? And you better have it for them because they get grouchy if that free, free refill isn't there. But they're sitting there and they're, uh, they're sipping on their coffee. And man, they are telling all kinds of stories. And you know what you find is a bunch of men who are filled with knowledge from living life and they're a bunch of puff-up, arrogant brats. That's what they are. How many of you have ever sat there and listened to a conversation like that? I have. I've, I've done it many times. And you know what? I just think it's funny. I just sit there and listen to them, and they go on and on. And, well, I know this, and I know that, and, 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 and i got this on you. And it's a one-upping game. You feel like you're dealing with second graders in school, but they're not second graders. They're old men, okay? Uh, but knowledge puffeth up. And if all you have is a head full of Bible knowledge, my friend, you are setting yourself up. 
up uh, for Satan to take you down the path of being a Pharisee. It's not enough. It's not enough to have a walking knowledge of the Bible and its teachings. You must have a deep-seated relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't, then knowing the Bible causes nothing more than Christian shallowness. And unfortunately, there are a whole lot of shallow Christians that know the Bible, but don't have a relationship with the one who epitomizes the Bible and wrote the Bible. Now, in 2019, I want you to make it your personal goal to take your personal relationship with Jesus Christ to a whole nother level. To a whole nother level. Boy, I've been rearranging some things in my own heart and life over the last month or two and changing up my schedule and how I read and when I read my Bible and how I pray and when I pray and how long I pray and rearranging things to make sure that my walk with God is fuller and richer and deeper. You see, what most people have that are in a church today is they have religion. And at White Oak Baptist Church, we're not pushing for anyone here to have religion, what we want you to have is relationship. Relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have one? Do you have a regular, consistent one? Or is it weekly? Or is it bi-weekly? Or is it casual? Or is it daily? And those of you here that have a daily walk with God, uh, I want to push you this year to move from the daily walk with God to having a moment-by-moment walk with God, where you have both a prayer time and you have a prayer life. A time where you spend in prayer every day, where it's just you and God and nobody else, and you shut out the electronics and the technology, and it's you and your God. No cell phone ding can interrupt you. No person can come and interrupt you barring an emergency. It's you and God for 30 minutes or an hour or 15 minutes a day. And then you have a prayer life where moment by moment by moment, as you come up upon something, you can pray. Pray and have that spirit of prayer about you. Now, uh, at the end of the service this morning, we are going to be giving out a booklet that will assist you in spending one-on-one time with your Savior all year long. When you get the booklet, you'll notice it to be very similar to the ones Pastor Peslak used to pass out. We took one of his and we modified it just a little. And what I found is that Pastor Peslak's walk with God and style of walk was very, very similar to mine. And so we're going to pass those out at the end of the service. And you'll find inside that booklet a list of songs that you can read through every day and have that time of speaking to yourselves and psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And there will be a Bible chart that will help you read through the Bible in an entire year. Uh, There will be uh, uh, some thoughts and concepts on how to pray and have a prayer life with God to help you get started with that if you don't have your own setup. So at the end of the service, we'll be passing that out to you. And let me encourage you all year long, use that thing. Have it a daily occurrence uh, uh, with you and, and, and allow yourself to be rooted in Christ beginning in 2019. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is the end goal of an apple seed? Is it, is it pretty leaves? It's a, I know what it is. It's a strong root system. When you put an apple seed in the ground, boy, the hope of the person that planted that seed is that they can get a strong root system. Is that it? 
Well, maybe in part, but that's not the end game, is it? Oh, I got it. They want to see a sprout come out of the ground and then, and then widen and thicken and grow up and then grow branches, right? That's the end goal, right? That's when you, when you put an apple seed in the ground, a farmer puts an apple seed in the ground. That's all they want. They want that tree, they want that seed to turn into a tree and look pretty for everyone to observe. Is that the end game? You all are looking at me like you don't know how to answer the question. I'm getting some no's and I'm getting some, I don't know, pastor. Is that the end game? No! Apple pie is the end game. Very good, Mike. Apple pie is the, no, uh, producing apples is the end game. You put an apple seed in the ground in hopes of several years later having the roots grow uh, downward and then the tree grow upward and then that tree put out apples so Marie can make Mike an apple pie. Amen? That's the end game. We want, uh, we want apples. And so what is the end goal of getting saved? Getting saved. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you. And uh, we'll get into this in the month of February in great depth. But when you got saved, the seed of God's word entered the soil of your heart. If the seed enters the soil of your heart, that means you have gotten saved. You've been born again. You open your heart and mind and you allow the seed to enter the soil. Uh, uh, the first part of the parable there in Luke 8 tells us that the fowls of the air came along and devoured the seed and it did not enter the soil of the heart. Uh, he carried it away and those people didn't get saved. But uh, the other three types of soil, the seed entered the soil and the seed was there. Is the end game of a Christian just to get saved? Oh, no, it's not. Is it to develop a relationship with Christ and have roots grow outward? Oh, that's an important thing, and that's our theme this year, rooted in Christ. But that's not the end game. The end game is that we put roots downward so that we can grow upward, and then not just grow upward to look pretty for everyone, we grow upward so that we can produce fruit uh, as Christians for our Savior. Throughout the year, I have a number of sermon series prepared. Uh, we're going to look at preparing the soil of your heart. We're going to look at planting the seeds. We're going to look at protecting the sprout that grows upward. Uh, Satan wants nothing more than to choke out that, that plant, that sprout, that tree that's growing up. And Take it out and have weeds cover it and keep it from producing. Uh, we're going to talk about producing through the Holy Spirit. Those fruits of the Spirit we sang about in the beginning of the Spirit uh, service. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Uh, having those produced in your life. How many of you here today would be quick to admit that you are not a patient person? Would you raise your hand? You're not a patient person. All right, put your hands down. Do you know that even though you are not built to be patient, that God can, through the Holy Spirit, produce patience in your heart? You can, by the end of the year, be on a path to have attributes in your life that you've never had before. But the Holy Spirit's got to produce those, not you produce those. The last series we'll look at toward the end of the year is about proclaiming for the Savior. Now, each of these series of sermons 
is meant to help guide you scripturally through the process of being that Christian fruit tree that is planted by the rivers of water that Psalm 1 tells us about that bringeth forth much fruit. This morning, all I want to do is introduce the series, introduce the theme. All I want to do is give you a glimpse into what's coming up this year and whet your appetite so that tomorrow morning you will get up and you will walk with God. And if you are already walking with God, walk with Him in even a deeper and richer way. I propose that the only way to be successful as a Christian is to have your heart rooted in the written word. That's this right here. How many have a Bible with you? Would you hold it up for me? Let me see the Bible. Hey, I'm a big fan of bringing a physical Bible to church. Hey, if you got to hold up the pew Bible, hold up that pew Bible, amen? Get it up there, amen? But bring a Bible to church. Hey, listen, a soldier doesn't go to war without his weapon. A Christian should not try to get through the Christian life without the sword of the Word of God. Some of you this morning will spend a $1,000 on a phone, but you won't spend a $100 on a good copy of the Bible. I don't understand that. I just don't. Go out and spend some money and get yourself a nice leather-bound Bible and fall in love with this book. Now, the Bible holding in my hands today. I have read through this very Bible many times and I've just about wore the thing out. I've got pages falling out and notes scribbled in the margin and things underlined. With this Bible, there have been times where I have held it in my hands and hugged it close to my chest and brought it to my lips and kissed it. And you may think that's weird and strange, but I have a loving uh, relationship with the physical copy of the Bible that I own. If I ever lost this, it would just about be the same as losing a child. I mean it. I love my Bible. I have, uh, I have left body liquids on this thing such as drool from falling asleep. And when my face lands on the Bible and I wake up and, and there's a puddle of drool right there. I have wept tears on the pages of this Bible. And uh, I, have, uh, I had a roommate in college who just lost everything. And, and he was a really spiritual guy, but not very good at keeping up with his stuff. And, and I came in the dorm room one day. He was my roommate. And I said, uh, I said to him, I said, Daniel, I said, man, look at your Bible. That thing looks like you've taken it to war. And you have wore that thing out. And he got a big cheesy grin on his face. He said, nah, I left it on top of my car last night and it rained. Well, boy, he looks spiritual. I gotta tell you, that Bible looked wore out. So, uh, but, uh, uh, fall in love with the written word of God. Until you have a deep, founded relationship with the Bible, you cannot be rooted in Christ. So, this year I want you to develop a relationship with the living word, but I also want, rather with the written word, but I also want you to work hard to develop a relationship with the living word. Jesus is the Word. Does that mean that Jesus is the Bible? Are you holding Jesus in your lap? Well, sort of. Uh, It's called the transitive property in geometry. But uh, Jesus is the Word of God, and the Word of God is the Bible. We know Jesus as the living version of the Bible. And the Bible itself, the Holy Bible uh, that is given to man, that is the written Word. And the Bible tells us that, uh, that God even esteems His own Word above His very... He holds the Bible in such high regard, the Old Testament tells us that he holds the Bible in higher regard than even his own reputation. So this year, I want you to develop a relationship with the written word that will lead you to having a deep relationship with the living word. 
I propose that too many religious folks are busy playing games with God and church, but are not actually serious about growing in grace. Do you know that it takes more than coming to church 52 weeks a year to be a good Christian? Do you know it takes more than knowing how to get up and put on your Sunday best? I don't care if you wear a tuxedo to church. If you come to church and you haven't walked with God, Jesus describes you as a whited sepulcher or a whited glass, an expensive-looking mug, glass filled with dead men's bones. Oh, you're pretty on the outside, but you sure aren't pretty on the inside. And God can see right through that. I might not be able to, and your spouse may not be able to, although they probably have a good idea. The rest of the church may not know, but God knows who you are deep down inside. Do you know that you could make a large financial contribution to the church in 2019 and help move our vision forward and still not be uh, in a place where you have a right relationship with God? Those things are ancillary, and those things come from being rooted in Christ. But my friend, too many people try to fake it on the outside, and they're shallow on the inside. Being rooted in Christ is not about how you are perceived in public, Don't miss this, but rather what God knows about you in private. Being rooted in Christ is not about how often you pray publicly at church and how eloquent your prayers are at church. Being rooted in Christ is about how often you pray in the privacy of the moment that no one knows about. Hey, what you do in private will determine what God does with you in public. What you do in private with God will determine what God does with you in public. Some of you here, you are excellent at looking the Christian part. But you know inside your heart that your relationship with Jesus Christ is very shallow. Now, I'm not here to to make you feel bad about that. I'm here to challenge you. I'm here to say, hey, let's let's be in private what people think we are in public. You know, the truth about roots, rooted in Christ, the truth about roots is that they're not visible. They are hidden in the ground. They're hidden out of sight. Sometimes you get the top of a root, right, of maybe an oak tree, You can see running along the ground. Sometimes if you look at a tree uh, on the edge of a river, you can see the root system, right, from maybe some dirt that's eroded away. But for most trees and the majority of the roots from the trees, they're completely out of sight. And that tree will last through the storms of life because of the roots that nobody else can see. Those roots represent your walk with God in private. I think I referenced this uh, in the last couple of weeks. But boy, it sure fits here, so I'm going to reference it again. White Oak Baptist Church has been here since 1980. Next year, we'll celebrate 40 years. It's a big deal. In the 39 years that this church has been here, there have been thousands of people who have come, gotten saved, gotten fired up about Jesus, faithful for a few weeks, a few months, a few years, and are no longer in church. It's not that they're going to a different church. They're just not in church anymore. Thousands. 
Hey, listen, of all the people who had come to White Oak Baptist Church, gotten saved, or came here maybe as an infant in Christ, if all those people had come and been serious about Jesus, I'm talking about the people that live in the greater Stratford area, we would need to rent out a coliseum to have church. We would be meeting uh, maybe in New Haven where that, uh, that they have their football stadium. Or maybe down in Bridgeport, we would be renting out the stadium where the Fairfield basketball team plays uh, or uh, the, uh, the Sound Tigers play. We'd be there every week. Why is it that people come and then they go? They come and they go because they got saved, but they never, ever, ever got rooted in Christ. Many of you here today at best... You have a weak root system. Some of you have a weak root system because you've only been saved a short time. It takes a while for those roots to spread out and strengthen and grip the soil. And your, your weak, your root system is weak because you just need to stick it out a little bit longer and let those roots go down and grow and, and, and not fight the process of the roots, uh, uh, going out. Others of you here have a weak root system because something has, uh, ripped you up from the soil where you are and you're in a transplant mode and you're still trying to take two the new soil around. Maybe uh, you're new to White Oak Baptist Church, or you're uh, new to the area, or you're, um, uh, you're, uh, you're, you're, you, you allowed sin to pull you up and you're still trying to get back involved. But whatever the reason for a weak root system, in 2019, I want all of us to commit to make this year a year where we put down our roots thick, deep, and strong in the Lord. Let's quickly look at five thoughts from Colossians 2 as we introduce this year's theme Rooted in Christ. So the majority of my message was the introduction. We're going to move through these five points quickly. Let's do it. Number one, attached to Christ. If you have a bulletin on the back, we gave you a fill in the blank for you there. And I would encourage everyone to take a bulletin. If you've just been doing one bulletin per family, uh, if you want to take notes, we can afford to print more bulletins. So uh, take them and write on the back and take notes and review later. Uh, attached to Christ, all right? Look back with me at Colossians 2, verse 7. This is such a rich verse, and uh, we're only going to tap into it and scratch the surface of the goodness here. Colossians 2, 7. Notice that first word. Can we read the first word together? Ready? Here we go. Rooted. All right, in a minute I'm going to pause, and I want you to read the next two words, okay? Rooted and built up. In Him. Rooted and built up in Him. Rooted in Him. Rooted in Him. Now, when a seed first falls in the dirt, before it can produce new life, it must first die. The first step of a seed, before it can produce, is it's got to go in the soil and it's got to die. That seed's got to die, all right? That seed has got to die, and then it begins to put out roots, and it's death, and then those roots shoot up and produce new life. In fact, uh, John chapter 12, verse 24 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Here Jesus is saying that if a seed of wheat, a corn of wheat, falls in the ground and it won't die, then it just sits there. But if it does die, it begins to put out a root system that can shoot up and then produce much fruit, much fruit. And so you must die first 
before you can produce. Now, I'm not saying that anyone here needs to go out and, you know, physically die, but you need to die to yourself in your own ambitions, in your own will, in your own desire. Now, when you got saved, God gave you a new heart. He made you a new creature. The Bible tells us, if any man be in Christ, he is therefore a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, that old man stays with us, and it plagues us until we die. But if you're saved, you have a new man, and he has a new uh, 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 vision for you. He has a new path he wants you to walk down. He has spiritual gifts he's going to give you that you didn't have before you got saved. He's going to provide for you a new plan for your life. And as you walk down that path and you follow the leading of the Lord, He's going to make it more and more obvious what that is. And, uh, but in order to achieve that, you're going to have to deny the old desires. I'm talking about someone who was a drunk when they got saved. They got saved and now God puts the Holy Spirit inside of them to take that alcohol away. Now, you can, you can allow the Holy Spirit to give you victory over that alcohol and turn your back on it and defeat it and walk away from it, or you can allow that alcohol to continue to have a grip on you. Some of you in here, it's not alcohol, it's anger. You have a major temper problem. And you can't be rooted in Christ because uh, you uh, you continue to give in to that temper of yours. Or some of you here, it's some other substance that you take in from the outside and put in your body. And it's limiting your growth in the Lord. Others of you here, uh, it is an emotional state where you continue to fall back in that and allow that to limit you from really growing in the Lord. And those roots never attach. They never grow deep. And this idea of being rooted is that we must first die to self. Now, in fact, if we are attached to sinful or selfish things that don't please God, then we are told that we will be like a plant with a weak root system. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 12 with me, if you would. Proverbs 12, flip over there quickly. This is a very important verse for you to see in context of the message this morning. We are all rooted in selfishness. We're all rooted in sin before we're saved. We're all rooted in our own sinful ambitions. Maybe some of you here got saved and you were genuinely a good person by society standards and you were rooted in your own version of morality and you say, and you know, look, that's just as dangerous because you lean on that instead of the Bible and God says, I want you to be ripped up from your own concepts of, of your worldview of life and I want you to be transplanted and rooted and grafted in Christ. Look at Proverbs 12.3. A man shall not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous shall not be moved. You know what that means? If you are rooted in sin, those roots are weak. That root system is weak at best, and you're going to shift with the tide. You're going to move. You're not going to last. You're going to constantly have problems. But if you are rooted in righteousness, you're not going to be moved. There's one thing that's for certain in life is that storms come. In the past week and a half, my wife and I have been informed of four colleagues in their 30s that were faithful to church. Some of them pastors, some of them pastors' wives, some of them uh, uh, just faithful church attendees, uh, uh, and four people in their 30s that dropped dead last week and a half. People that we know or know of. 
Life is fragile. Now, I hurt. I'm saddened by the death of those people, but I deeply hurt for the people they leave behind. I think of one family who's, who, uh, the death of, of, of Jared, who was a pastor in Mississippi, he leaves behind a wife and six children and a broken-hearted church. You think they're not going through a storm this morning? You think that their church isn't grieving at this very moment? You know, storms are going to come into your life. Some of you this year, you're going to get given a diagnosis for it by a doctor, and it's going to have that big, ugly C word in it. I sure hope that doesn't happen to you, but it happens to people every day. And if you're rooted in anything but Christ, that storm is going to knock you over. We had a tornado rip through our front yard uh, this uh, 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 last year, and it uh, it took down a tree. Didn't land on our house, praise the Lord. Our house was fine. And there was another tree in the yard, big, strong oak tree. I was cutting the grass a couple of weeks later after we picked up the sticks and and things, and I noticed that the whole tree had shifted. It got over right next to the tree to cut the grass, and I could see where the roots had shifted a little to the right. The ground had been broken up right there. The one tree was taken out, and the other tree wasn't, because the one tree had a better root system than the other. And that storm came blowing through and took the one tree out, but didn't take the other out. Hey, when that storm approaches your life this year and then in the future, are you attached enough to Christ to last? Are you be knocked down? You know... We, I call that the litmus test. You going to make it? Your relationship with God real? Are you attached to Christ? Number one, attached to Christ, rooted in Christ. Number two, notice, advancing in Christ. Advancing in Christ. Look back at Colossians 2, verse number 7 with me. Colossians 2, verse 7. It says, rooted, and then, and then read the next four words with me. Ready? Rooted and built up in Him. That would be the next five words. Let's try that again. Ready? Rooted and built up in Him. Built up in Him. Hey, it's not just enough to be rooted. Those roots need to spread. That root system needs to get healthier and stronger. Uh, you need to begin to be built up and advance in Jesus. In 2019, if you're putting the work in private in your walk with God, the evidences of that uh, will begin to come upward and be obvious for your co-workers to see, for your, for your wife or your husband or your parents or your children to see, uh, for uh, the people that you go to church with to see. It ought to be obvious to others that there is growth happening in your life. You say, Pastor, I've been saved 30 years and I've grown into an old, old oak tree uh, spiritually and I can't grow anymore. And I have to say... Yes, you can. And you can grow at such a pace that other people look at you and go, Wow, look at that uh, 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 Christian go. Look at her grow. Look at him grow. Uh, He's been saved 30 years and continuing to grow in the Lord, advancing in Christ. Now, uh, turn over to Jeremiah chapter 17 with me. We're going to flip back and forth between Jeremiah 17 and Colossians 2 in the next two points here. But we must choose this year to advance in Christ, advance in Christ, to grow in that walk with God. Now, one thing is certain about a healthy root system, those roots never stop growing. They never stop strengthening. They never stop thickening. They never stop uh, uh, getting uh, to a place where they're more tolerant and resistant to adversity. They never cease their work. 
Even when roots are hibernating during the winter, there is still a, a, a subtle uh, there's still a subtlety of things going on in those roots as it is preparing for the springtime where it will allow that tree it supports to bud and produce the fruit of that particular tree. There is a constant growth going on in that root system. Look at Jeremiah 17, 8. It says, For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river. When was the last time that your roots spread? Now remember, those roots are evident of what goes on in private. Hey, is your walk with God just crusty and stale? You open the Bible, you, you check off the reading chart, you read your three chapters, you say the same for, uh, prayer, you close your Bible, you close your prayer sheet, and on your day you go. And the truth is, is it's become more of a ritual than a walk. Let me ask a question of those who have been saved for any length of time. How many know what that's like to get there? You know what I'm talking about? You read, you pray, and on you go. And you turn around six months later, and it's a ritual. Or here's one. I think we all can relate with this. You're reading your Bible. <laughs> I think this happened, it did, this happened to me this week. You're reading your Bible, and you're like half a chapter in, and you're like, what did I even read? <laughs> I've thought about the grocery store. I've thought about my Amazon shipment, if it's going to arrive today. I've thought about what I've got to do when I get to, the, to work with the church. I've thought about a church member who's hurting. And I have no idea what I just read. And it's amazing how fast the brain works. Isn't it? And you know what I do when that happens? I go back to where I left off or where I lost my attention. And I read. It's amazing how words can go in our eyes and us not retain a single thing. You know, if you do that regularly enough, you're not, you're not going to advance in Christ. You're not. How about when you come to church? We hear good teaching and preaching. Uh, I work hard to, to prepare sermons that are well thought out and, and understandable. We have an awesome group of Sunday school teachers that just do a phenomenal job uh, teaching the Bible. And you, you sit in Sunday school, you come in here, and you hear a well-prepared sermon. And it comes in one ear, and it can go right out the other. You know, that doesn't just happen in Bible reading. Sometimes that happens in church. Where we're, we only pay attention during the illustrations or the jokes. Pastor starts to tell a story, we're back and being engaged. Then he finishes the story, he's making an application, and we check out. And we, we're, we're, we're story jumpers. We jump from one story to the next, and that's really all we get out of church. Some of you here do a really good job of listening in church. You take good notes. But do the notes match the changes in your life? Are you advancing in Christ? Number three, notice, abounding in Christ. Abounding in Christ. Look back with me at Colossians 2.5. Don't lose your place in Jeremiah 17 there. Uh, Colossians 2.7, actually. Let's start there, and then we'll go back to verse 5 in a moment. Colossians 2.7. When I pause, I want you to read the next two words, and I want everybody to do it, okay? So... Get your eyes on Colossians 2, 7 and be on your toes, all right? Uh, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught. Good job. Abounding therein. Abounding therein. Look back at verse number 5. It says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit. This is Paul writing the church at Colossae. Joying and beholding, look here, your order 
and the steadfastness, the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Now, these two thoughts are distinct uh, uh, thoughts, but they are tied together. They're connected at the hip, and the one cannot work without the other. Abounding and being steadfast. Being steadfast and abounding. So, what does that word abound mean? That's not a word we use in our everyday language usually. If you're taking notes, write down this definition for abounding. It means to be full, to overflowing. To be full, to overflowing, to be wealthy. Now, that's not talking about money. Okay, That's talking about being spiritually wealthy. To be wealthy, to be highly productive. Abounding can mean to be wealthy financially, but in the context of Colossians 2.7, it's talking about being rich spiritually. To be full, to overflowing, to be wealthy, to be highly productive. Now, let's think of this in terms of the context of the passage. Rooted in Christ, okay? So we abide in Christ. We abide in His Word. We put down roots. And then up from that comes a tree planted by the river of the water of the Word of God. That tree shoots up, and then the next thing you know is that we are abounding or we're full. What would make a tree rich? Lots of fruit. Lots of fruit. Some of you know that in October I took a trip to Alabama. Every year I take three or four days away. I leave my computer and my phone behind. And all technology behind, and I go on a technology fast, I take my Bible, I take a long prayer sheet, I take a lot of ideas I've scribbled down, I take books with me, and I go and I become a hermit for three or four days, and I read and pray and study and prepare for the next calendar year uh, for the church. And uh, uh, let's see, two years ago, I went up to Vermont in the Chippios place. This past year, I think I hurt the Chippios feelings because I didn't go to Vermont. But I had a reason for not going to Vermont, okay? I love your house. That wasn't it. I went to Alabama because I have a friend down there that is a fruit farmer. He lives on a fruit farm, and he produces all kinds of fruit, and that's how they make their living. He's got a wife and, I think, four children, and I got to go down there and spend time with him. I'd love to bring him up here and have him preach, but i got to tell you, he's as hillbilly as they come. And I think if I brought him up here, I'd probably have to interpret for him if he preached. I mean, he is hillbilly. Super intelligent, Bible college graduate, knows the Bible inside and out. and He can sit and explain the Scriptures. He's got a really genuine walk with God, a sincere person. And God's really brought him a long ways in his Christian life. Was raised in a Christian home. But boy, he is, he sounds like a country bumpkin. In fact, when I called him and asked him about coming down there, he said... Yeah, you can come on down. And uh, uh, that was about the length of the conversation. So I've been a few words. I flew down there and I learned a lot about trees. And I'm going to be sharing uh, trees and fruit and, be- and roots. And, and I'm going to be sharing a, a lot of that uh, throughout the year. Uh, but one of the things I learned from him is that a healthy tree uh, produces so much fruit that in the budding stage or when they're making their flowers that become the fruit, the farmers have to go through and knock some of the fruit off the tree to create room for the remaining flowers to have to be able to grow into the full-size fruit that they want. Now, that's the kind of Christian I want to be. Where I'm producing so much fruit, God's got to come along and knock some of it off in order for the fruit that's left to, to abound, to abide. Are you abounding in Christ? Or are you just a pretty tree? You remember the story where Jesus walked past the fig tree? And he went up to it to get some figs? 
And he got so upset they didn't have any figs. Now, it had lots of leaves, and it looked really pretty. He cursed the tree. When he came back later, it was dead. I can't tell you that. I can't tell you how many Christians I know. In fact, I would say the majority of Christians I know. They put out some really good-looking leaves. But they're not putting out a whole lot of fruit. Now, if you know that's you, will you make it your goal in 2019 to begin to abound with fruit for the Savior? Now, here's a neat thought. All right, turn over to John chapter 15 with me. And we're going to be studying John 15. And we're going to be doing deep, a deep study on John 15 later in the year. But John 15, Jesus is walking probably at this point through the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, 14, 15, and 16, I believe it is. We have the the uh, um, uh, the Olivet Discourse. He's leaving the upper room where he's had the Last Supper, and he's walking to the place where he'll be arrested. And his heart is heavy, and he's teaching his disciples some things that are very important to him. John 15, I imagine Jesus stopping along the way with this vine, these vine uh, olives there with him, and he's using these to teach his disciples with a, uh, with a visual example. Look at verse number 4. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, that's Jesus, No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus says. Ye, my disciples, are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Now, here's what I want you to get from this point. If you don't abide, you cannot abound. If you don't spend time with God, you can't abound for God. Now, let me define that word abide for you, because the King James translators translated that that root word many different ways. And I think that when you collect all the words together, boy, you get a really rich definition. Sometimes it's translated abide. Sometimes it's translated remain. Sometimes tarry. Sometimes dwell. Sometimes it's translated continue. And at other times, it's translated Endure. Wow. Now let's go back to that Colossians 2.5. Remember, Paul praised them for, be, for their steadfastness. You know what that is? That's endurance. There are going to be times where you're at odds with the pastor or another church member. There are going to be times where uh, somebody does something you don't like or something's handled in a way that uh, that doesn't uh, cut the mustard with you. There are going to be times where you just feel sick and down and discouraged. And the question is this, are you going to remain steadfast in the Lord and abide and be rooted in Him? Because if you do that, the Bible promises that you will abound with plentiful fruit that pleases the Lord. Last week we looked at Elijah and talked about how his work for God had gotten out of balance with his walk with God. We talked a lot about being about getting those things in balance. Let me be clear this morning, working for God is a byproduct of walking with God. Let me say that again. Working for God is a byproduct of walking with God. And if you will walk with God, and you'll do it properly, He gives you His heartbeat, and then you can't help yourself. You want to get up and go do the work of the Lord. But if you're working for God without walking with God, eventually you'll throw in the towel and quit. Look back with me at Jeremiah 17, verse 8. Let's finish the verse. For He shall be a tree 
be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and uh, shall not see when he cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought. You know what that means? It's going to continue to feed in the nutrients from the soil, even during a drought, because the tree is so strong, it can sustain to do that. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Because the tree has put down deep roots in Christ, it can produce great fruit for Christ, even during a drought. Number one, attached to Christ. Number two, advancing in Christ, built up in Him. Number three, abounding in Christ. Number four, notice attitude for Christ. I'm winding it down here. Attitude for Christ. Go back to Colossians 2, 7. It says, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein, read those last two words, with thanksgiving. Wow. Wow. Now that's a great attitude, right? I don't want you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you here really struggle with maintaining a Christ-like spirit. You're always negative. You're always down. You're always tired. You're always frustrated. Your expectations aren't ever met. You just walk around and you're either pessimistic Paul or pessimistic Pauline. All right? Not this Pauline. Is Pauline Moisek here? Not here today. Okay, she's still out sick. Pray for Pauline, by the way. She's been going through it lately. But not that Pauline, all right? But pessimistic Paul or pessimistic Pauline, and you just go through life, and you don't have an attitude of gratitude. I want to be very careful what I say here, because I want to make sure Jesus Christ gets all the credit for what I'm about to say. I'm going to use myself as a personal illustration, but I want you to understand, there's nothing in this guy right here that's good that comes from him. Anything good that comes from me is because Jesus is doing it through me. He gets all the credit. He gets all the credit. I've been saved now for 30 years. That's a long time to put down spiritual roots. Long time. God has allowed me to see a lot of fruit come forth in my own Christian life. He has allowed me to have days where I have felt very abundant in spiritual fruit. And again, he gets the credit. He gets all the credit. In the 30 years that I have lived as a Christian, I have had the opportunity to share Jesus with thousands of people. I guess by the time that my sermons are watched online and copies are bought and distributed and Boy, I'm at a point in my ministry in my life right now where I'm being heard and watched on other sides of the world. The scope and influence of the fruit that I have, I won't even know till I get to heaven. But can I tell you that the greatest thing that a Christian can experience is seeing another Christian, another person brought to Christianity. Now, I've, I've enjoyed a lot of things in life. I was there to see both of my children born, and that was, that was awesome. I have made the winning shot in a basketball game as a kid and got tackled at the middle of the court by all the kids. Um, when I was a teenager, I dunked on somebody. Now, it was an eight-and-a-half-foot rim, but I dunked on somebody, and that felt good. 
Now, all these things are not comparable. All right, some of these are more exciting than others. But the greatest thing that this guy right here has ever experienced is watching a sinner bow their head and trust Jesus as their Savior. I've never experienced anything greater than that. When you do that, you know what you do? You walk away speechless, and you walk away with a heart full of abounding in thanksgiving. There's a, uh, a poem that was written and put to music. Here's how the song goes. I'm not going to sing it, but I want you to listen to the words. It says this. Listen closely. I've been to a lot of places. I have seen a lot of things. Mine eyes have viewed the beauty of so many wondrous things. From the flowers in the springtime, in a valley deep and wide, from the majesty of mountains, by the ocean's swelling tide. But these things soon fade away. They seem to grow so small when I compare them to the greatest miracle of all. For the greatest thing my eyes have seen is the changing of a life. When a sinner falls down on his knees and brings his heart to Christ, nothing moves my soul to tears like the joy redemption brings. And to witness true salvation, that's the greatest thing my eyes have ever seen. It goes on and says, I have seen the dying hopeless soul find joy and peace in love. I've seen them pass from death to life by the power of Jesus' blood, from the wealthy born in riches to the poorest homeless man, from the oldest folk to the youngest child who've received salvation's plan. There are many things I'd like to see before this journey ends, but they can't compare to what I see when a soul is born again. For the greatest thing my eyes have seen is the changing of a life. When a sinner falls down on his knees and brings his heart to Christ, nothing moves my soul to tears like the joy redemption brings. And to witness true salvation, well, that's the greatest thing my eyes have ever seen. Christian, are you just a pretty tree with green leaves? Or are you abounding in Christ? Are you rich and overflowing in Christ? Are you thankful for what God's given you? Let's finish the sermon quickly, number five, looking at attacks against your Christianity. Oh, it's all positive. And then, Pastor, you've got to throw this one in there. Attacks against your Christianity. Well, don't blame me. Blame Paul and blame God, because Paul had God had Paul write this down. Um, can I tell you that being rooted in Christ... It's tough. It's a job. It's a challenge. And uh, the odds are not stacked in your favor. They're stacked against you. Look at Colossians 2.8. It says, beware. Oh, boy. There's that word, beware. You better put up the attention uh, again. You better watch. You better be aware because God's going to tell you something that's going to attack that fruit in Christ, that those roots in Christ. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiment of this world, and not after Christ. Now, someone who's listening to this sermon this morning with a skeptical eye, a skeptical look on their face and in their heart, they might say, Pastor Lejeune, if it is all this great, if it is all so wonderful, if being rooted in Christ provides so much good, then why don't more people do it? 
Why don't more people do it? I mean, look, you're telling me that my walk with God will be deep and rich and full and that my marriage will be happy and my children will will obey me and respect me and that I'll get raises at work. Well, that one may or may not happen, depending on your boss, right? Uh, but uh, all of these good things are going to come into my life, right? Pastor, if it's all that great and good and great and glorious and I'm going to be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving, then why don't more people do it? And the answer is because you have an enemy out there lurking, waiting to take you down that wants anything but for you to get rooted and established in Christ. Oh, he doesn't want you to abide in Christ. He doesn't want you to advance in Christ. He doesn't want you to abound in Christ. He doesn't want you to have an attitude of gratitude in Christ. Oh, he wants to attack your faith and he wants to pull you down. I don't have these on the screen or uh, or in your bulletin there, but you can jot these down. Notice letter A, false teaching. False teaching. Have you ever wondered why there are so many different types of religions out there? You ever wondered that? We've got the Catholic Church and the Muslim movement and the Hindus and Judaism. And, and then within Christianity, you've got Presbyterians and Methodists and Baptists and Assembly of God. And, 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 and then you have the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. And uh, that's just the beginning. That just scratches the surface. Why are there so many different denominational titles out there? What's up with that? How can I know which one's right and which ones are wrong? Is only one right and the rest wrong? Or are they all a way to God? And there are a lot of questions people out there have. And unfortunately, a lot of people, they throw their hands up there and say, I can't figure it out, so I'm not even going to try. You know why uh, there are all those other religions out there? Satan is trying to put as many hooks in the water to deceive people as possible to keep them from the truth. And so Satan's got lies out there like Hinduism and Buddhism that don't even have the God of the Bible in the center of it. And then Satan has lies that walk right up to salvation by grace through faith. And then he mixes in a little bit of works. And here's the truth. The closer something is to being the truth without actually being the truth, the more dangerous it is. Satan's got a whole bunch of false teaching out there. And he wants to keep you from the truth. Some of you here today, if you don't get rooted in Christ, some fancier religion's going to come along. Something's going to catch your eye or your attention. They'll have some program that you like better. They'll have a, some way of delivering a sermon or something that's more comfortable for you. Maybe less conviction or less Bible or more easy teaching. And, the, and, and, and you'll have false teaching that will keep you from truly being rooted in Christ. But I don't think that for most people in the world, or for most of you here today, if you fall away from faith and you are not rooted in Christ, I don't think that's how Satan's going to get you. I think maybe the next one Paul mentions is the way he gets most people. Letter B, notice vain living. Vain living. You know, Satan does trip up his share of people with false doctrine. But he trips up more people by getting them to chase things in life that just really don't matter. I want you to imagine you're standing in front of God at the judgment seat. You're saved. You're giving an account to Him at the end of your life. And God looks down at you and He says, so what would you do with your life? You say, well, right before I came here to see you, I bought a new car. Well, 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 I, I, I got a promotion at work, and I'm making $30,000 more this year than I made last year. 
Or you say, Pastor, or you say, rather you're talking to God, you say, God, I gave my life to being a sports fan and my team won the Super Bowl. Or my child plays first place in the spelling bee or in the science fair. You know, none of those things really matter, do they? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to, to, to buy a new car or, or upgrade your house or uh, uh, have your children be involved in those things or, uh, uh, or get, uh, get a raise at work. Listen, I hope all of you get a raise at work this year. But that ought not be what we chase. Satan's got all these shiny distractions all over the place. And, and, and here we are chasing them and, and, we're, and we're being kept away from what God would really have for us, that being rooted in Christ. And my friend, Satan, he will keep you distracted all day long. And the question is this, are you going to fall prey uh, to Satan's trap of vain living or, or, uh, or false doctrine, false teaching? Or are you going to just dog determined to set your eyes on the goal of being rooted in Christ this year and say, Satan, you're not going to distract me. You're not going to distract me. Last Sunday evening, I showed a video of, uh, of two dogs running a race with distractions all along the way. And the one dog was a German shepherd man. He shot down that track, and he got right down there, didn't stop reading distractions. Then they brought a golden retriever up, and they let him go, and he chewed on this chew toy, and he ate out of this bowl, and he stopped and got this treat, and, and, and he's running all over the place. And I watched that video, and I said, you know what? That's, that's why the Baptist church. I said, I feel like the trainer. I'm over here. Hey, hey, you need to come back to church. Hey, hey, uh, uh, come on over here. Oh, oh, and, and you're like, oh, chew toy. Oh, squirrel. Oh, my food. Hey, listen, put your eyes on the goal and go get it. Don't let Satan distract you with his glitz and his glamour. You know what you've got to do in 2019. Let's be rooted in Christ. Where does that begin? That begins tomorrow morning. You get up, you get your Bible. Really, it begins tonight before you go to bed. Sit down with the scriptures and read it. In a few minutes, we're going to give you a booklet. And we want everybody here to take one that will help you to be able to do that. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven, you can't be rooted in Christ until you have first trusted Christ. In fact, for you, Christ is just a person that can connect with you intellectually, but not emotionally and spiritually. You say, Pastor, what does it mean? What does it mean to be saved, to be born again, to be connected to Christ? Well, that first begins by you opening up your heart. Please listen to me. Opening up your heart and understanding that you are a sinner, just like I am. And together, as humanity, we have violated the laws of God. And we deserve God's punishment for violating those laws. You can't be good and get those goods to erase your bad. It doesn't work that way in a court of law here in America, and it doesn't work that way in God's court in heaven. You break the laws of God. It doesn't matter how much good you do. It doesn't change the fact that you have broken God's laws. And you must face the time for the crime. You say, what's the time? The Bible says that those who commit sin go to hell. But there is a plan of forgiveness and redemption. And that is through the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross. The blood of Jesus can be a cleansing agent to take away the sins of your soul. You say, well, Pastor, I want that. How do I get it? You must come to him with a humble heart, seeing your sin, turn to the Savior and trust him. 
and only Him to take you to heaven. There's one thing that sends somebody to hell, and that's choosing not to believe in Jesus. Today, you can choose to trust in Jesus alone to get you to heaven. It doesn't matter what you've done, how good you've been, or how bad you've been. It doesn't matter. You're a sinner, and you need the Savior. If you're here today and you've not done that, I'll be staying in the back of the auditorium after church. I would love to take the Bible and help you know how you can go to heaven when you die, before you die. My wife will be with me. If you're a lady, my wife can sit down and help you to know how to do that if you'd prefer. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Here's my hand. I know I'm going to heaven because I have believed in Jesus. 